Hello and welcome to this special Movie Fights edition of And Why Not, the movie podcast from the nerds who haunt themselves. Uh, this time I was joined by Tom Stewart, he of That Comic Smell, and John Tucker, he of uh, The King and many other awesome comics, uh, for the long-ish mooted discussion on the 2003 Sophia Coppola film Lost in Translation. Um, we've called this one a Movie Fights special there isn't really a fight, to be fair. It's just a general discussion about the film. Um, with Tom expressing his love of it and John expressing his dislike of it. And me sort of in the middle, chipping in occasionally. And uh, I really didn't need to be there, to be fair. But, yeah, um, I hope you enjoy listening. Obviously, as with all the and why nots, we get into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen Lost in Translation yet, you may want to check it out beforehand, or if you don't care, uh, enjoy it for the podcast. And uh, yeah, without further ado, I shall pass you over to past me, past Tom and past John. And uh, this is uh, the discussion on Lost in Translation. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Very well, thanks. Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Uh, have you both done your homework? I well, I've watched the film again. Actually, um, just a little, just a little note for the listeners. Um, that's actually Stuart playing that harmonica at the beginning of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I asked Is if it? I could have a, I asked if I could have a go on it, but he said I don't brush my teeth often enough. <laughs> yeah, I've what? done my homework. I uh, rewatched the film on Netflix uh, last week. Yeah, I watched um, it the weekend. Wait, was see, it I, the weekend? Yeah, yeah. I realised I owned it on Blu-ray, so I thought I'd better fucking watch that. <laughs> yeah, I got it on so, DVD, but I was staying away, so it was a Netflix job for me. Yeah, that's see, that, I don't realise true believers money. I save myself. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can afford a reduced copy of Lost in Translation. Yeah. <laughs> I think I got it for Christmas like ten years ago, or however long it was. It came out on. Yeah, Blu-ray. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh no, I asked for it because I. Oh, okay. As as we will discuss going in. So right, uh, we have split opinions. This is like the first movie battles kind of episode. So, <laughs> if I remember rightly, John, you love Lost in Translation. <laughs> I'm look. I'm a big time Lost head. Um, I've been a big <laughs> fan for years. Uh, yeah. Oh, I love it. It's marvelous. Translate me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if they made it now, that would be the poster strap line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. But, but yeah, no. So, um, yeah, Tom, you're the fan. Yes. <laughs> this this all started on the uh, Bartley Marathons episode. Yes, it did. When, yeah. uh, when John oh, yeah. incited a fight. Mm-hmm. With any, it, the challenge was raised to anybody that would uh, go against them, and I rose to that challenge. No. <laughs> I don't, I don't actually remember issuing a challenge on the Barkley. No, I don't. <laughs> no, All I, I remember think, is... I think Tom um, issued the challenge. Because <laughs> I, I, said, I said I couldn't be on the podcast two weeks in a row because I was going to be in Japan. And, and Stuart said, oh, well, we'll have to do Lost in Translation. And I said, fuck that film. And then <laughs> Tom took umbrage at that on his own terms later. <laughs> See, what I heard was 
I hate loss in translation, fight me for it. That was all I heard. After that, it was just quite noise. <laughs> and then there was some like orchestral music playing in the background as I prepared in a montage. Like that sort of, like that siren sound in like Kill Bill when yeah. the the five are approaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go back to the beginning then. So, when did you both individually, not together, obviously, first discover Lost in Translation? Was it at the cinema when it came out, or down the line? Uh, um, go on, Tom. Uh, mine was definitely afterwards. I knew it existed because um, the trailers used to play incessantly on the telly, and it was always that bit with. Uh, the the woman that had been sent up to Bill Murray's room and it was yeah, all the, uh, you know, they lip my tights yeah lip my stocking but like they used to That's play it. that all the time on the telly and I was like what the fuck is this and it was about two years after or something my mate had it on DVD and said oh you need to watch this and gave it to me um, so th- so this would have been about two thousand and five right yeah it came out in two thousand yeah, probably at the cinema. 2003 yeah. was domestic release, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I think it's in the cinema. Because like, me, me and Tom are about the same age, aren't we? I mean, I'm 32. What are you, 30? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, I remember it. I remember it being released in this country, but I, I remember the first I saw of it was, um, um, I think somebody on a band message board that I used to frequent had it as their like avatar. Do you know what I mean? Had the the image of um, Scarlett Johansson smoking at the bar. So right. it was. I think that was the first thing that I'd seen. Like, you know, I was like aware of it before I knew exactly <laughs> what it was. And you know, um, I remember like people were speaking to online saying, "Oh yeah, this film is you know, it's like this transcendent film or whatever." And I think the first time I saw it, I think it might have been, it must have been similar to you, Tom. I think it was about oh god, what have been two thousand and six? I think it was. I think yeah. it was about two thousand and six. I think I saw a friend's house, and at the time when I was eighteen. At the time, I was 18, and I really liked it. You know, um, you know, I, I was, you know, we watched it at like one in the morning or whatever because yeah. you can do that when you've got like no responsibilities <laughs> and nothing matters. Um, and yeah, no, I know, I remember being, you know, really charmed by it and everything like that. And then I think the 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 first time like the wheels fell off it for me was, I think when Netflix first launched in this country. I think it was on. I think it was on one of the first uh, in, in the, the first UK Netflix. It or, was. No, yeah, it was. Yeah, I think it was. It was either that yeah. or it was on the American catalogue, and you could get the American catalogue fairly easily back then. And, no, it um, was definitely it was definitely on the UK. It was a launch title, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It yeah, was, yeah, 100%. yeah. So this was like 2010, and I was living in Manchester at the time because I was at university, and I remember sticking it on again, you know, middle of the night. I had uni at like 9am the next morning and I would go to bed at 4am and never realise why I was falling asleep in my lectures all the time and uh, <laughs> never put those two things together and uh, I remember watching it and thinking oh, it, oh I, you know, maybe now nah, you know maybe you know just one in the mood for it just one in the mood and then I think <laughs> the next time I watched it after that I thought oh god no I just no you know it's, it's it yeah it just yeah well we'll get into what we do what we do and don't like about it but i've seen it a couple of times over the years and then the most recent time was last week i was going to say how how far into it before you realized that you were getting put off by it um oh god how far uh what the 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 first time i saw it like uh, the first time i realized i wasn't as keen on it yeah 
Um, God, I don't really remember. I think it was just like a general sense that like, oh, you know, uh, either like, like either my tastes have changed or this film has aged very badly in right. like six years. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's, do you know, that's something that uh, you used to spoke about when we were speaking about 500 Days of Summer though was that uh, like a lot of these kind of films don't have a very long shelf life yeah. i i heard this um this discussion on your 500 days of summer episode and i i gotta say i di- i disagree in the main about the because the, yeah, the the films you classified as like being of that time i think lost in translation has aged the worst of all of them except for maybe garden state oh <laughs> I think Garden State is aged the worst, um, oh. uh, but I think a lot of the other ones, um, you know, because I mean, well, the thing the, is, the like, soundtrack we, doesn't help Garden State though, because <laughs> it is that pinpoint. Yeah, well, that's it. Like you know, um, you know, New Slang by The Shins it is the, is the Garden State song, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, the Zach but, Braff song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, again, everyone remembers the scene, and everyone remembers you know um, seeing it for the first time, or like people of a certain age do certainly. But I think I, I think like that 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 time in cinema um, I, I think it's I, I think it's when you when you're talking about films that are lost in translation I think it's important to it's like to think about like the context of the time that it was made right so if you look at like if you look at films like you know Escape from New York and like The Warriors and Death Wish that were all you know late 70s early 80s you know, the, the, some of them were like highly reactionary quite conservative cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, this was around the time that like the city of New York had like declared bankruptcy. Yeah. And you know it was generally regarded then that like you know the inner cities are these lawless hellholes and all the sensible people have moved to the suburbs. Yep. Right. So it was a reflection of like um, of like a, an anxiety at the time. Right. So if you move mm-hmm. a little further forward, <coughs> excuse me. So then you got these, and then you had um, it was disaster movies. Yeah. In the nineties, and mm-hmm. that reflected, I think. Like the the like the politics of fear that um that Adam Curtis did. There was a great documentary series that Adam Curtis did called The Power of Nightmares, and it was about how politicians starting in like the late 70s and early 80s um abandoned the idea of presenting like a better world, and they moved to a, a model of there are terrible things coming in the future and only I can protect you from them. Right. Mm, okay. But the problem is once you start down that path of like dark imaginings, you have to imagine the worst. So. I, you know, all those films like Godzilla and like Independence Day and things like that, where, you yeah. know, it was, you know, um, uh, like the, the World Trade Other Center world was shown being destroyed over and yeah. over again. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, 2011 came along. Uh, sorry, 2001 came along and the worst did happen, you know. So I mm-hmm. think that, that sort of like there was a, a definite there was a cultural psychosis, right, <laughs> that 9-11 <laughs> imposed on the Western world. And I think the the six to eight years following 9-11 was a like a, like a peak time for like introspective cinema, especially in America. Yeah, and I think that's where all that came from, because like the last time America had been like slapped in its face on its own soil was like Pearl Harbor. And that had like an uh, like a, an easy narrative and a clear ending. The Japanese slapped us. We slapped them. Right. But with 9-11, that's still not even really resolved. Do you yeah. know what I mean, there was no there was no winner after 9-11. Right. So um, I think that 
that caused this like introspective decade in American cinema. And I don't think it's a coincidence that there was like a war of the world in 2005, you know, where these yeah. like unknowable aliens came along and were just laying waste to everything. And you didn't know what they wanted or how to beat them. And even if you look at films, like if you look at a film like Signs, right, as mm-hmm. compared to Independence Day, Signs was like very personal and the aliens were, you know, were hard to decipher and it was all very close and dark and scary. Whereas Independence Day, it was like, you know, these, these aliens were brought in. They were, they were pushed as these these incredible monsters, but America was victorious. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that was <laughs> yeah. the difference. So even like the monster movies were more introspective. You know what I mean? It was more of a sort of like, you know, America was like licking its wounds and like going, oh my God, what kind of country are we really? Yeah. And I'm not saying that 9-11 caused Lost in Translation, but what I am saying <laughs> is, <laughs> what I am saying is I don't think Lost in Translation would have A, been made or B, done as well if 9-11 hadn't happened. So I personally hold Osama bin Laden responsible <laughs> for, lost in tra- for lost in translation. <laughs> so, sorry, what well, were we talking about? <laughs> that's it. That's the end of the pod. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> so that was, the only reason, that was the only reason he was fucking taken out then. <laughs> I fucking hated Lost yeah, in Translation. Yeah, yeah. Killed that motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a couple of people who thought Lars and yeah, Lars and the real girl. What was it? Lars and the real Lars girl. Lars and the real girl. Yeah. yeah, didn't get its due, so they stormed his compound in Pakistan and then flew in the ocean. <laughs> they found a bunch of ROMs on his computer <laughs> and then chucked them in the ocean. Oh man. But I, but I think like of all the all of all the films that were made in that time, I genuinely think like because you know um, films like Lars and the Real Girl and um, I'm trying to get some others, even stuff as late as like Her, um, I think that stuff has held up really well. Lost in Translation, I don't think has, and I think it's a bad movie. Yeah, but Her's more a look on, I think more a, a look on how technology and ai could actually progress to a point where not even we have an understanding and how human race the human race may have actually peaked um whilst on a slant of um looking at relationships and everything as well and the the sort of 21st century relationship i think that's a lot to do with that um so there's a lot more kind of going on there personally but well that's why i would no i think no i agree i agree but i but i think it's it, it, you know, it it is. I, I think her came from, you know, for that that sort of like introspective view of her, because her isn't really about um, the AI. It's about whacking Phoenix. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that, and I'm not saying that like you know there was introspective films in the you know in the 90s and you know, there's been introspective films forever, but I think that was like the the mood of like introspection fueled this decade of inward looking cinema. You know. Okay. Um, and I also think it was a bad film. <laughs> so, to counter that then, Tom, what, what is it about the film that you love? See, I, I don't dislike the film because of 9-11. I'll get to what I dislike about <laughs> it, but, but I just think that's where it came from. I uh, See, I've never been very good at debate clubs, so this is going to be about all over the place. Um, You'll fit right in, don't <laughs> I have a... In the sort of broad perspective of it, I think that it was also a rise of philosophy majors within Hollywood and how they've all come out of the 90s and 2000s and your liberal arts liberal arts courses that were going on in America 
were flourishing and people were giving win to those kind of new newer directors but it also doesn't help that Sofia Coppola has that name attached to her as well so there's a slight bit of nepotism going on there as well yeah I know dad's company produced it <laughs> more yeah. than slight I would say but we'll get yeah well yeah a, a, a huge amount of nepotism look I'm not <sighs> uh, <laughs> I, like, I, I will hand on heart say I'm going to find it very very hard to argue probably any points about this film right from the from, from the bat because having watched it again the other day I still really enjoy it I'm still a fan of it I cannot I, I but I can fault it very much so um I, but as far as as far as like a grander look I totally agree with you um on the sort of introspective look and all those kind of films and everything that came along with it but I, I honestly I feel that there <clears throat> there had to be something else that came out of that there was far too many newer directors and everything that came out of that like your Zach Braffs and everything as well that just seemed to I don't know if it was just that we're giving more rise to independent films or they all had to have a tax break somewhere or what. I don't know what was <laughs> going on. But it was honestly like they just picked every sort of philosophy or um, sociology major and gave them a chance to write a script and then said, if, if you write a good enough script, then we'll, we'll make it. And it was just like tons of these films came out of that. And it seems to have been a reaction from that because at that time in the 90s and the early 2000s, that was what a lot of people were majoring in in America in colleges. Yes, yeah. there was all your philosophy majors and everything. I mean, you look at a lot of the the films where they actually go to college. A lot of them are studying either English lit or philosophy. <laughs> you know what I mean, or something like that. Um, and I just I think that's a lot to do with that as well as obviously the overall perspective of America on a whole. Okay, well, um, first of all, I would say that saying that everybody who went to college in a film in the early, in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, that is erasure of Legally Bond, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> which, which is an objectively good film. Um, yeah, but well, no, no, I, I, I largely agree. And much as you say, like, you really, really like the film, but, you know, it, it's not that you can't fault it. I, I'll... I'll meet you halfway there, and I'll say that even though I, I even though I really, uh, I do not like the film. Um, but having said that, it is not, it's not badly made. It's not badly shot. There's lots of good performances in it. You know, um, Bill Murray was right to be nominated for that Oscar that year. I think I think that was the time for him. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff about Lost in Translation. Like it's it, it's got some you know it's some of the most um, like authentic depictions of um, like everyday Tokyo that mm-hmm. I've seen in film. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it's really authentic. It captures that like that like like garish neon that's simultaneous. That you know, it, like it's very harsh to look at, but it makes makes the people look like ethereal and almost like not real. Do you know what I mean? Just the yeah. the glow on people's faces and that kind of thing. And um, although I will say that when they ran through the Pachinko parlor, it was nowhere near loud enough. Me and Lauren ducked into one of those things and it was absolutely deafening. Um, right. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, th- I think that there are lots of, there are lots of things about Lost in Translation that are, um, th- uh, the, the, you know, that are, are enjoyable and, and to like, um, but like further, to, further to your point about, 
you know, like it felt like they were giving all these um, people movies and, you know, Sophia Coppola being who she is. Mm -hmm. I I think it's, I I personally, like, I think the story was, you know, because when people like speak about Lost in Translation, it's about, you know, isolation and loneliness and, you know, um, uh, like finding like common bond in a foreign land, right? Because, you know, they're they're so isolated um, by not only their, um, their partners and families, but also isolated because they don't speak the language and they are in a truly foreign land, yeah. right? And and that film and that film wouldn't have really worked anywhere but Tokyo, right? But that's the thing funny, is, that's funny you say that. Sorry, John, but that's funny you say no, that because that is that is one of the things that I thought about straight away was if this film was set anywhere else, would it have worked? No, and I don't think it would have. I, I, it would no, it totally wouldn't have in, in well, any way. Well, that's it, because like because Japan like Japan was like a closed border nation for hundreds of years, and and even like you know after World War Two, their culture was completely and utterly like um uh like completely reformatted. You know, it kept a lot of the sort of like, the fuse list, you know, mm-hmm. the Edo period stuff about respect and on and all that. But it, it, but they developed this sort of like you know um this sort of like softer side that gave rise to you know things like you know a, a lot of the the media that's come out of Japan in the yes. last 60 years um no i no i don't think it would have worked anywhere but japan but the thing is like it, you know to, to look at it on its face like um you know it's about these people who are isolated and you know and they find this common bond what i think the film is about really is about how the idle rich spend their time right <laughs> because and personally i'm not interested in how um the disgustingly rich while away their time right because um you know <laughs> like because i think looking back on it now right because uh, you know i'm 32 it's 2020 right and because you know, I, I read an interview with sphere coppola about lost in Trans- and she said that like the interiors uh of the film the hotel it was all filmed in like the park hyatt in tokyo yeah. uh, that's like one hotel yeah and the reason she said is said she said it's because it's one of her favorite places in the world this hotel when they, the interviewer said, oh, why is it? And she said, it's because there's a little bit of everything in the world there. There's a French restaurant and a New York bar, which is the fucking, this the stupid rich person equivalent of saying that your favorite restaurant is Tay Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can get a pizza and you can get Indian. You get, oh, brilliant. Five pound a plate. Come on, boys. Right? <laughs> and I think, and I, th- I, I think it's impossible to watch the film. Because uh, things, if you look at things like, like Garden State, like nobody can say like Zach Braff got to where he is through the luck that everybody has when they make it in Hollywood, but he wasn't somebody's kid. He just moved to LA, tried his luck, got lucky. Fair play to Zach Braff, right? Can't fault Zach Braff, right? But then you've got Sophia Coppola who <laughs> fucking, um, you know, who, uh, you know, who, I'm sure um, will make a dynasty. Yeah. Has never had to work a day in her life. Right. She interned at Chanel when she was 15. Right. <laughs> Um, she was in all three of the Godfather films and she was drummed out of acting because she absolutely stunk at it. Yeah. Right. And she and she got into Cal Arts because of who her father is, basically. Right. And I think only the like impossibly entitled stupidly rich could visit a city like Tokyo multiple times, as she said she did, and decide that their favorite place is a hotel and that their favorite activity is looking glumly out of the window. Right. <laughs> Because the fact is, and we all know this, right? Rich people are stupid as fuck. They got no taste, right? We've known this for a long time, right? Yeah. But you see these fucking simps, right? You just look at, right? Just look at like Jeffrey Epstein's sex island, right? <laughs> he built this fucking 
he, he buys a private island for like drinking blood with Hillary Clinton allegedly, and he builds this little like Assassin's Creed save point temple on it. Like this is what the rich are like, <laughs> right? So you got so this is what they do. They either they either buy a sex island and they're there drinking blood with Hillary Clinton allegedly, or they are going to Tokyo. They're staying in the hotel in the most like the which you know Tokyo is like the playground of the world. If you go to Tokyo and you have a bad time, that's your fault. They go to Tokyo, they order a $60 pizza from the restaurant, which is called like Yeehaw or something, and they eat it looking out the window while they're listening to the Jesus and Mary chain, right? <laughs> and I because I, I, I think I do think, I think Lost in Translation, I think it did the aesthetic of Tokyo justice, right? But only like the entrenched bourgeoisie could get so little out of a city that has got so much to it. And I'm not saying that every film has to be Tyrannosaur or it has to be like a Ken Loach, like a gritty, you know, gnarled, like working class social realist film. But I just, I find it so odd that this film has resonated so widely with so many people. I, 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 the, honestly, the reason I think that so many people like it is because it is, it isn't like an exceptional Bill Murray performance, but much as, you know, the, the old trope of like two kids on each other's shoulders in a long coat, posing as an adult lost in translation is bill murray sitting on a bad film's shoulders posing as a good film <laughs> in a long coat <laughs> okay I mean, I, yeah that is i largely think that i mean my main reason for wanting to see it at the time like i say, i had to seek it out it wasn't shown in my local cinema to go to the next town over to see it yeah it was because A, I was massively into film at the time, so I was pretty much seeing everything I could that had buzz about it. And I love yeah. Bill Murray. So I so do I. anything I... to shot with Bill Murray in it. <clears throat> yeah. And yeah, I think there's... a lot of my affection towards it was that I love Bill Murray. I think that's a lot of people. I think that's the case for a lot of people. I think that was the case for me. But, and, but you know, but I, I don't think it's the best Bill Murray performance. I don't, no. you know, um, it's, it's up there, but I don't think it's his best performance. I, it was a great turn from Bill Murray. It's, it's no caddy show, though, is it? It's not, it's, it's, not even, it's not even Rushmore, do you know what I mean? Like, um, oh. But, like, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I, it's, like, the film is not for me. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just surprised that, that it resonated so much with so many people when it is, you know, um, it, it is just about the idle rich. You know, and but is, it, is it, does it not maybe resonate with so many people because it resonates with the fucking idle rich, to be honest, with these pasty white motherfuckers that are sitting watching it and giving it, oh, this is so insightful. And oh, I, I felt that sense of <laughs> lostness within this country. Just shut the fuck up. But like, yeah, but, the, but yeah, no, I agree with you. But the thing is, but I don't think I think the thing is, I don't think it resonated with people. I think uh, I think at the time, I think it was almost like aspirational. You know, mm. like people would see this film and think, oh, maybe one day I'll be in a foreign country. Maybe I'll have an interesting interaction with a with a famous stranger. And maybe I'll be a Yale philosophy graduate <laughs> who has just bumbled Tokyo with Giovanni Ribisi. And I'm going to pester him That's while a- he's trying to get ready to go to work. And then I'm going to I'm going to wander out into Tokyo again, the finest city in the world. Right. I'm going to wander into a Shinto temple. I'm going to catch um, a, a chant in action and I'm going to be so bored by it that I'm going to call my mother when I get home to tell her how bored I was in tears. <laughs> <laughs> it was so boring. Ugh. You know, it's like, come on, come on. And all this. And, and you know. All this, you know, the the lit my stockings stuff, that ain't gonna age well. That hasn't aged well now. No, I mean, I mean that was problematic at the time. I mean that that is that's veering into very solid territory. You know what I mean? Like 
there are two things that stick out for me very very much on the on the rewatch one is what you said is the fact that it's just the idle rich and it is just it's a lot to do with fucking people with wealth and yep. severe amounts of wealth and fame i mean he's got a tremendous amount of fame and yet oh i'm so lonely and lost and one like, of his big dilemmas is picking fucking carpet swatches yeah, <laughs> yeah like for his study yeah exactly and and, and he's he, he's actually got somebody doing his study for him as well he doesn't yeah. have to do a fucking thing he just has to say that one and that's it um that is one of the things that really bugged me and i, I i'm glad you pointed out the fact that it was other rich fuckers but the other one is the fact of all the cultural i would say just slagging basically the fact that, yeah. that there's loads of bits where they're just like oh these like that bit with bill murray in the fucking lift yeah. i mean that came on screen and i went oh jesus like what the fuck like we we get it like you all seem to think that everybody in japan's fucking tiny and whatnot but oh come on hey like this is just ridiculous yeah. like, there's just loads of it that and the lit my stocking is ridiculous as well and they have a whole conversation about how they mix up the r's and the l's they actually yeah. say that and i'm just like fucking the christ almighty those are the two things that really really bugged me on the rewatch yeah aside I'm... from that <laughs> aside from that yeah uh i think right no wait no 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 you go john that's fine that's fine <laughs> that's right okay um i, I would say, the only the other thing i was going to say is i think that um like ignoring that it is about the idle rich ignoring that um it's about two profoundly unlikable protagonists and like there's there's um like the literary critic eve sedgwick said that the that um the main form of criticism now is like good dog bad dog criticism so it's not appraising art for what it for what it's worth it's like oh well you know the main character didn't get his comeuppance it's like hazy or morality code stuff like a lot of that was was done with um with joker with whacking phoenix's joker you know it was um you know um appraising a film for like how progressive it is or whether you know the protagonists are doing good things, and I don't agree that protagonists have to be nice people. And and also like I and I would say that it, it's a it, it's a film about nothing essentially, and it like not a lot happens. And also because they are because they're in Tokyo, and you know um, like Bill Murray's wife is unlikely to find out that he um, had sex with the lead singer of the B52s. And Giov- <laughs> and also uh, Giovanni Ribisi just disappears halfway through the film. Anyone notice yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Just vanishes. They say they say that's like one of the hard things in script writing is keeping the plate spinning, like keeping everybody on the screen because you just forget people. Yep. And I think Sophia Coppola forgot about Giovanni Ribisi. Yeah, Either that or he was only well, he goes off on a photo shoot, doesn't he, or something? For yeah, but his photo shoot was only meant to be a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, and he's and he's it's like gone, a week later. <laughs> yeah, like a week has gone by. She's gone to like Kyoto, which is not nearby, right? And then she just comes back. Nothing more is said of that. And it's just, it it just, I don't know. It just to me, it feels very disjointed. And I know because thing is. And like Sophia Coppola said, it was like a, it was. She admitted herself, it was a personal vanity project that she didn't expect to take off as well as it did. So you know, I, you know, maybe this maybe this is unfair criticism for something that was just you know a personal thing for her, right? Mm. But I just feel like, like, you know, I, I, I just think personally, like, and like Anna, like Anna Faris's like vapid movie star character, I think was. You know, it was just, it was so on the nose, and like Wasn't really she on the supposed nose. To be based on Cameron Diaz, wasn't that the? Uh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, oh, but really? like, well, yeah, because yeah. it's Giovanna 
what's his face is meant to be like a stand-in for Spike Jones, who was married to Sophia Coppola at the time. Yeah. Uh, oh fuck that! Oh fucking hell, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. god, Anna, he. Anna Faris was supposed to be like Cameron Diaz, who was working with Spike Jones on being John Malkovich at the time. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't get it for the for the um the Cameron Diaz thing. I don't. Have, but then again, I've not seen enough interviews with her. I, but I him, just no. that bubbly. <laughs> yeah, but him, holy shit! See now that you've said that, that's put his character right in the place. That is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, he does a he's a fucking good actor. Giovanni Rabisi kicks ass, honestly. Yeah. Like he is so good. Oh, he's and, I, and he was and you know, even Anna Faris was good. She was working yes. I feel she was I feel she was working with bad material because she was meant to be like this vapid, like, oh my god, yeah, actor who inexplicably um knew who Evelyn Woe was, but not enough to know that he was a man. So all right. Um but she's just like prattling over everybody, much as I'm doing now, and then she disappears. <laughs> And Giovanni Ribisi disappears, and then all that's left is like um, Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray having this basically like an emotional affair, and Ribisi is gone, and Anna Faris is gone, and then they bring in the singer of the hotel band as like uh, as just a you know, and Bill Murray had sex with X, and X just happened to be this woman, you know, yeah. and then there's and like then a bit gone. of, and then she's gone on like that. And then there's like a bit of like stilted, like, mm, you know, you've mm, you know, oh, you got to cook your own food in this restaurant. Mm. And like, <laughs> and like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take you to the hospital. Oh, nothing's, you know, what? Like, that was, that was nothing. Like, how, it was just, I don't know. Like, and then at the, like the end, like, you know, I, I know it's not, it's like an iconic ending. He sees her in the street. He chases after her. Um, he kisses her in the street and says something in her ear who gives a fuck what it was. And then they go oh, their separate. Some ways. people do because they've paused it and yep. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and... And, I, and you can't hear this, but I'm doing that like um, that like wave your hand as if you're wanking sign really <laughs> wide. I'm doing it even though there's not a real dick in my hand. There is cum coming out of it because of how hard I'm doing it. But like, <laughs> it's just yeah. But it's, it's it's like it's the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. It's just an, another fucking stupid MacGuffin and. And to and again coming back to my earlier point about the idle rich, I don't give a shit. Or he, he's probably just giving her a stock tip. Who gives a fuck? You know? <laughs> that's that's the whole thing of that is it's never gonna be as exciting as you built it up to be in your head if you're genuinely invested in that sort of thing. So it's yeah. not worth knowing. Yeah, no, of course no, it's never as exciting as as the reality, um, as as what you could imagine for yourself. Some yeah. some stuff is best left unsaid, and that is something that I would say is best left, but. I don't know. I think like you know, because looking you know, looking back at the films of the time, I think you know, like Lars and the Real Girl was an exemplary film. Yeah. You know, I I think that was outstanding. I think it's still good now. I I think like what are some other films from the time like yeah, and even like oh. not even not even just talking about like you know those sort of like sad mm, like indie films. Even if you look over at like like um like the comedy indies that were coming out at the time, like. Napoleon Dynamite is a really quiet, dry film about nothing in particular. Yeah. But you are invested in those people, and you know um, it, that I would say had, Napoleon Dynamite had more emotional pull than Lost in Translation. I would say. Ooh. I would I would say it did. I fucking hate Napoleon Dynamite. I I I wished Napoleon Dynamite well at the end of that film more than I, you know. <laughs> Oh, more I, than I gave a more than I gave a shit if fucking Scarlett Johansson's plane fell out of the sky, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> I 
fucking hell. <laughs> I, I, wish, I wish Giovanni Ribisi well. Too much to the chagrin of uh, of Dave. I, I absolutely hate Napoleon Dynamite. I cannot stand it. I never made it through the first three viewings of that film. I eventually made it through all the way and was fucking bored to tears. Never laughed fucking once. <laughs> fucking hated that entire film. Oh. I must admit, um, it's a film I've seen once and don't really remember. I never really yeah, saw the fuss about it, but... It's funny, I, I still, really liked it. still don't remember fuck all about it, except from him saying something about fucking eat your food or some shit and throwing some stuff at a llama. And I was like, yeah. what, the fuck, what the fuck is this? Like, Tina, yeah. Tina, you fat lad, can we eat your dinner? Yeah. The only thing I remember is the bus pulling up with the school kids next to the cow that's just about to get shot in the head. Yeah. I see that's not fucking... No. That's the only thing I remember. <laughs> Okay, right. Well, Napoleon Dynamite aside, because I'm I'm sensing that this is not a yeah. This, sorry. Anyway, this this is not a winner of hearts and minds. Case, right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like you know, there were other films that were made around that time that um because they were all sort of pigeonholed into this box of like oh they're about you know like loneliness and uh, you know how lonely modern times are and blah 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 right. Um, Lars and the Real Girl was about that. That was about um. You know, I, I, you know, isolation and um, you know, human connection. Yeah. Um, Lost in Translation was not, um, if, if you ask me. And I think it was, I think it was badly written. I think it was borderline racist. Uh, I think it, it treated Tokyo like, um, at times, um, it was, it was at best backdrop, and at worst, it was like, um, like a zoo. Um, I, I think the, <laughs> I, I think. The, the best use for Lost in Translation would be if they took all the external shots, um, edited down to about 10 minutes, and then just put that on the headset monitors on Japan Air planes. <laughs> I think that would be the best use of that footage. <laughs> Not this film. You know what? <laughs> some absolutely fucking cracking films came out in 2003. I'm just having a look. Like, even yeah. some of your worst films were pretty good. Like, Go on. Uh, Finding Nemo. Uh, <laughs> fucking yeah. Mystic oh, no, Rick, It was good. Yeah, oh, Mr. River was class, yeah. Uh, Bad Boys 2, School yeah. of Rock. Uh, School of Rock was also the result of 9-11. <laughs> uh, X2, um, not that I like Big Fish, but Big Fish. Uh, American Splendor, the fucking Paul Giamatti fucking playing Harvey Peacock, man. Uh, if, if, if we can just fast forward to 2004, because I'm looking at 2004 at the minute. All right, okay. um, there's a film on this list which I feel fits the category. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I was about to say that. Yeah. I think every, everything that people think Lost in Translation is about, um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind does far, far better than yes. Lost in Translation okay. does. If, if, you put, if you put the two up against each other and ask me to fucking pick one, I'm going to pick Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That, it's, every it's time... Every well, it's, it's not it's not a choice, but I, I just think like uh, you know a lot of a lot of what I I've, a lot of what I think people like about Lost in Translation, like you know um, uh, right. relationships going sour and blah blah blah, and also I think um, Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. I've never seen the the sort of like mental act of forgetting visualized better than that. Like yeah. Michelle like Michelle Gondry like absolutely you know. That film was a home run from start to finish. And I think that film, more than like Lost in Translation, more than Garden State, I would say is the um, is like the pinnacle of that yeah. era of filmmaking for me. I would say it is. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When I put the Blu-ray in, the trailer for Lost uh, for Eternal Sunshine was on the beginning. I was kind of, oh, I wish I was watching that. Oh, was it? Yeah, because it's all um, 
Studio Canal, isn't it? Or, or yeah, Momentum. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But oh, I, uh... it's, it's sort of like a bizarre world lost in translation because it's got you know famous serious actress, famous comedy actor doing a serious turn, you know, relationship mm. gone sour. Is it? You know, it's a lot of the same beats are there, but I think and, it's just and yeah. just enough, just enough stardom extras as well. Kirsten Dunst, yeah. Mark Ruffin, um, and oh god, what's his name? That yeah, British guy, yeah. Elijah yeah. Wood. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh. See, oh, 2004 was, was a good year. You had Sideways as well, which I've not seen since, but I remember really liking that. At the what time. the wine film? Yeah. Spider-Man what? Two. Spider-Man Two. I like uh, Spider-Man Two. S- some people would say Mean Girls, I guess. Shrek Two. We're just reading films. <laughs> films yeah. now. Also Garden State, but uh, yeah. Garden State. Yeah. I thought that was later. I thought it was about 2000. Yeah. Same. Like, no, you're... Aquatic. Is it maybe just that a lot of these films came out later here, or were they all coming out relatively the same time? I think they were all around that same sort of time. It was sort of around that time after High Fidelity came out that everybody was making films deconstructing relationships and breakups and all that sort of thing. No, I, I would say that Mulholland Drive kicked that off, personally. Yeah. Like, I, I know that, like, High Fidelity, yes, um, it was, you know, another one of those very introspective films and all that, but I think, like, that sort of and I, I know Mulholland Drive was like made pre 9/11, whatever, right? But like, I think Mulholland Drive was like the beginning of that, and that was another very good, um, you know, sort of like uh, inward-facing film, you know. Still, still not watched it. Still not watched. That's good. It's good. Yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely worth watching. It's fucking weird. It takes a couple of watches. No. But... It's Lynch, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, because he did a wonderful thing when the DVD came out that it never skips to the same place twice if you skip through the chapters. Oh, that's good. Fuck hell. Because he knew that people would just be skipping through to get to the lesbian sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd done something in the programming of the discs so that it was a... Uh... <laughs> oh, what a boy. I, uh, I don't really have much of an argument back here. I, I, I honestly, uh, John, you, you came fucking well prepared, mate. Um, well, I, I mean, look, the thing is, I'm not. Tr- I'm not trying to change anybody's mind about Lost in Translation. No, right? okay. If like, if if Lost in Translation is your favourite film, right, then fucking whatever, right. But um, you know, the gauntlet was laid down, and uh, <laughs> I felt like, I felt like I had to come on and defend my case because my case last time was just fuck that fucking. But you know, like <laughs> my only my only thing about it, the the thing that I just resonate with is is the thing that everybody else resonates with. It's probably the the bullshit thing of like feeling lost and finding something, um, and I just I kind of har- I can harken back to it, even just watching. It. I mean that rewatch. I was sitting going fuck. It really it just resonates for a certain time for me, and um, mm. I feel like probably a lot of people do that as well. Um, watching it, they maybe go back to it and go, yeah, that feels like that certain time and stuff. So it is a lot to do with like uh, a vain sense of nostalgia and all that kind of shit. And I do really like um, Scarlett Johansson in it because I'm not a massive Scarlett Johansson fan. Um, and I think the fact that she gets fucking dummied off the DVD cover when clearly she's in it a lot more than Bill Murray is um, is just bullshit. But <laughs> I, yeah, I, the the cover should have been that iconic picture of a smoking. It should have been that. Well, there's a, there's the opposite movie co- uh, cover as well of her standing with the umbrella. With the umbrella, yeah. yeah. That's and the, yeah, yeah. the poster. It's like no, him sitting on a bed in a fucking kimono or whatever. And I'm just like, what? Well, what? 
fucking bullshit. Um, I don't That's think... That's because at the time, unfortunately, Bill Murray was the biggest hell, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Scarlett Johansson was very... It was yeah. like Ghost World and a couple of other things. That, yeah. Um, not, uh, Horse Whisperer thing or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Oh. Um, I'm not a massive... I'm not a huge Bill Murray fan. Um, and he, he does an okay job. He does an all right job. But I do feel that, like... Well, he's, he's playing Bill Murray, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's Bill Murray and everything. Yeah. Like, he's more of a dick, game. Bill Murray, but... Yeah, Bill Murray turn up and play an Irishman. Okay. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, <laughs> fucking, um, Actually, while, while we're here, can I just... Can I have... Uh, can, uh, can, no. can, can, you, can you tell me what I thought of the film, but in my voice, please, Tom? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I cannot. Come on, come on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, you can't put me on the spot like that, man. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! Go on. <laughs> Give me. <laughs> Tom, Tom impersonated me on that comic smell, so I just, I just want to hear. No, just want to hear a little bit more. All I said on that comic smell was "get in the car," and that was it. Like that was all I said. Like he's a t- he's a t-shirt. Get in the car. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that was all I said. <laughs> No, you're asking me to do a loss in translation. I can't do that. Um, I thought it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was about 9 11. <laughs> I didn't go with Liam Neeson. <laughs> Fucking 9 11. Um, That's what no. that film needed, Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah. Now, that was, a, that, was a real, that was a real good film about isolation in a foreign land. Taken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taken. Um, the thinking man's lost in translation. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! That's yeah. what that film was lacking. I would have liked to have seen him. He's in the Bill Murray role, right enough. That'd have been pretty funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's uh, getting back to the point though. I um, yeah, it's just like the bits where she really has. It, it is just like certain bits for me with that film. Definitely. I mean, the rewatch, I really was going like there is like a vast majority of this film that I can just skip over and get to the, the bits I was on about. I mean, I said it to you, uh, Stu, that I, the bit when he's singing more than this still still hits me like a ton of bricks. But I think it's also just because it's the Brian Ferry song. I mean, I just love that song. I don't think it's so much him singing. I think yeah. it is just the song itself, but it is then followed up promptly right after that with them both sitting out in the hallway and her with that wig on that was everywhere at that time. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that was the a stop photo from that film, wasn't it, for a long time? But it prompted so all this beautiful stuff, and let's have the two of them in a fucking lift. <laughs> yeah, everybody. But I think everybody that went to like a uni party or something at that yeah, point. Yeah, the pink wig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just hanging out with a bunch of people that were older than me at that point, and shitloads of people used to turn up at their parties with that fucking wig on, and I'm like, oh Jesus, get it to fuck. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, <laughs> it is. It is just a certain point thing about it that really still resonates with me. And I think it, it, the only thing that hinders it with that is that you, you then remember promptly after every sort of touching moment that they're obscenely rich. This is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just annoying. They're not, they're the not way- really shown enjoying Tokyo at all. Like. No. But that whole bit It's, it's fun, very much like the uh, with Nell and I we've gone on holiday by mistake but just 100%, not done the last yeah, at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
But that that whole thing that you were on about about going okay the the sobbing on the phone afterwards like just annoyed me, but uh, her going to that chant and not feeling anything, I don't know there was something about that I was like I th- I, th- I would get fucking upset if I went to see that and just wasn't moved in any way shape or form. If I came away from that I was like I felt nothing like am I am I hollow inside am I dead like I should be feeling something from this anything. Would you would you though like would you would you like recognize that that you Not... like disappointed yourself with your own emotion? I don't think because I because I saw one I saw that happening when I because I was in to- I was in Tokyo in October and I saw one of those things happening like in progress and right. it's really you know it's incredible to to see it happening but you know I I wasn't it was just it was you know great really great to see it and then. 20 minutes later, I was playing Tetris in an arcade, you know? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Because th- that's the thing, though, is, like, and the, the other thing, like, you know, I don't know, I mean, you know, it, it is, again, this thing of, like, it's not, you know, they, they can't be faulted for, you know, for being sad in Tokyo, but, like, honestly, like, that bit where she's, like, walking through an arcade, just looking at it all, going, it's like, have a go on that crane machine, come on. Yeah, that was a bit annoying. Come on. Like, I play in the machine and everything, like the guitar and that. I'm like, I'd be fucking hitting up something, like so anything. Like yeah, there's yeah, so, yeah. there's got to be. I mean, there's tricks behind those machines to pull people in in the first place. She yeah. would have been pulled in fucking anything, a slot machine, anything. You know what I mean? But she just mm. wanders through, and that's it. But I don't know. Maybe it's the first time she's stepped out of the room or something. You know what I mean? Like, Which is even worse. You know, like. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, but true. Yeah, they've got friends there, haven't they? Because that's what they keep doing. Because isn't that who they meet up with? So Th- yeah. that's that's the part of the film I find the hardest to believe. Personally, what the, that they've it, got it, friends? No, no, not that they've got friends, but the, <laughs> but the Scarlett Johansson has got um se- like seemingly like non English speaking permanent resident friends in Tokyo. Yeah, does that not just strike you as odd? Like the way, like, from, the way she is, yes. Like Very for me, so. I I thought that the, I thought that the 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 point of those friends in the film, I thought the function of those friends was it was it was so that they can you know they can go and escape and you know um, Bill Murray you know, what was Bill Murray's name in the film Bob or something Bob, uh, so yeah. yeah so he's he's not Bob he's just he's just someone and even though I'm fucking nobody I'm just someone too there <laughs> right and so they go into these like they, oh they go to like a little house party and it's like oh what, you know what I mean like. Because like that again to the idle rich, going to a house going to a house party somewhere where you can touch the ceiling is like an absurd like poverty tourism novelty. Do you know what I mean? Like oh my god, there's a refrigerator there. Do you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And then like and then they like smash up a bar and then go running through the pachinko parlor and it's just and they go to that karaoke place. And so so I just I think that the the that was the the function of those like friends in the movie yeah, was take them out. To, yeah, to let them, to, and again, because like because like Scarlett Johansson is basically like a, a self-insert Sophia Coppola in the film, right? Yeah. Um, like I I imagine the thought of of that, and she may have even done it. You know, I'm, I'm, I did that that must be very thrilling to somebody who um who has a famous last name and has chosen to use it and has never um uh, I, you know like um with like the, the accusation of nepotism should we say has followed her entire life it must be very thrilling to go somewhere where people don't know you you know mm. but i just think like if, if that is if that is going to be like the sophia coppola self-insert then scar johansson in the film should have been famous because it doesn't really work if she's just yeah a, that's true a yale yeah, that's, philosophy that's, that's, graduate 
that was very odd, right enough, that if it was meant to be that. But I always knew that it was meant to be Sofia Coppola. I just didn't realise it was meant to be Spike Jones before that. But um, that was very odd that she wasn't also famous. She was just some random. And I thought, yeah. it's just an... Do you know, it didn't strike... It seems very odd. It just didn't strike me as a film that was made by a female writer-director in any way, shape, or form. I mean... I, Scarlett Johansson's very much the kind of what's it they call it the pixie something or other. Oh, the manic, manic pixie dream girl. No, yeah. see, I, I would, I would, no, I wouldn't agree with that. No, personally. I wouldn't. Really? Manic pixie dream girl's no, very much your um, Ma- manic pixie Natalie dream girl. Natalie Portman. Yeah, Have I got this like, all wrong. I've, uh, Zoe totally wrong. No, I don't think so. But I, I think the, I, I think that the, what I understand are like the manic pixie dream girl thing. And like this is um, you're listening to three men discussing <laughs> in film. White uh, yeah. men, <laughs> middle-aged white men. <laughs> what's the what's the collective noun for three men? Is it? It's a podcast of men. Like and subscribe, guys. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I mean the, the the manic pixie dream girl thing. I always understood that as like it's this sort of like floaty ooh, woman who just comes into a man's life, and her only function is to be like upbeat and like you know hey you can achieve your dreams and she does something kooky like cutting his necktie before a big interview or some bullshit oh, right. and then you know or whatever but like Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson but you know is not that you know Scarlett yeah. Johansson is actually shown as being very dour in the film do you know what I mean like in very yeah. in very sort of like detached from it all and very you know um yeah you know almost like you know, like this sort of like unconfident kind of like yeah, you know yeah. in, in introspective thing. So I don't I don't think it's it's the manic picture dream girl thing strictly. Um, I, had, I just had the wrong definition for that. If, if memory yeah, serves, yeah, yeah. Manic Pixie Dream Girl comes from Kirsten Dunst in Elizabeth Town. Yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. that started. Oh, that's yeah, that's a film I never even made it through. Fuck me, that was. See, I, I love Cameron Crowe. I've never so seen I've, it. I've sat through oh. that. Oh, I made it about half an hour maybe and was like fuck me turn this off so boring (laughs) i'm trying to think of of another example of manic picture dream girl well i've I've heard that um natalie portman in garden state was like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which that that makes sense from what you've described because she does that whole going around the room (laughs) thing yeah Um, so that makes that. Sense. Yeah, no, noise me. Even when well. I like Garden State, that scene always grated on me. When you like Garden State, wait a minute, wait a minute, back up, back up. Yeah. What, you hate it now. No, I, I've, I need to rewatch it, but I, I, re-watched, I rewatched Lost in yeah, Translation. I thought, I thought we were pals. I thought we were mates. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing, <laughs> mate? Oh. Well, you, I, you projected that onto me. <laughs> Well, you You're know like what? Tom in 500 Days. Oh my God, I'm your son. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Um, do you know what? It's, uh, it's, it's fine, because when all is said and done, what I took away from this was that John Tucker just hates love. So it's fine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's fine. Um, hates love, hates, hates, hates... Do you think that was... Do you think that was a uh, a depiction of love in cinema, Tom? No. <laughs> I can't even agree with that. <laughs> I can even say yes, yes, it was. Uh, no, I think that it's a was of a proximity infatuation. Yes, yeah, totally. I think that was a depiction of two people who happen to be from the same country finding each other and saying, "Hiya, you seem alright." Oh yeah, you're, you know, you're older and got some money, and you're young and really nice. 
Want to hook up? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. do it. See, having had a holiday romance, I can say it was nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only thing that really resonated with me about going on holiday is that bit after he's been in the bar most of the night where he gets into the lift by himself. And I was like, oh, it weirdly reminds me of being on holiday where you would just kill the evening <laughs> sitting in the hotel bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before just quietly sloping off to your room alone. <laughs> Your case, Joe. No. <laughs> oh, I watched this film. <laughs> what did you what What did you make after all of it? Are you, you Are you still a supporter or a? Uh, I'm kind of indifferent to it. It's just meh now. I mean, yeah. I loved it the first time I saw the cinema to the point where I got home and I ordered it on American Disc. Right. Yeah. And uh, back when you could import discs really easily from America, and um, yeah, I was telling everybody they needed to watch it and it was the hot film of that year kind of thing yeah. and then i don't know just i've watched caught it on telly like a, about five ten years ago maybe and was just kind of like eh, really and oh. then yeah this is the first time i've sort of rewatched it since then and i was just kind of like i'm just it's that whole mitchell and webb thing of like it's just a film where nothing happens <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Like I say, it captures little moments of holidays that I was, I could relate to, but like tiny little stupid moments. Like I say, like the sitting in the bar, like the getting in the lift by yourself to go back to your room, like the kind of sitting in your room, channel hopping, watching Varantelli. Just I wasn't as you know depressed about it as he fucking was. I was going to say it seems like a pretty shit holiday if that was the case. You know what I mean? Well, no, but you know it's late at night, isn't it? Everything's yeah. shut. Back in the 90s, everything seemed to shut early. Or not early, but, you know. For a man that was meant to be going across and doing, like, a load of work across there as well, he doesn't really do much. No, he seems to do a photo shoot, shoot a commercial, and then stays longer so that he can hang out with her and do that TV show. Yeah. Yeah, just odd. I think what they were going for with the Japanese stuff was it was meant to be, like, you know, how weird is another culture? what's normal to them how weird is it to an outsider but it just doesn't play well at all yeah it doesn't capture that it very much captures the more <laughs> these people are fucking weird yeah <laughs> like it's, it's, the, the depictions of like uh television and stuff like it's, it's one like you can e- you can either show i mean like J- japan is like a, a, a like a bizarre country of like all these like you know they've got this like you know hundreds centuries old shinto buddhist temples where they are doing those ceremonies and that and then a hundred meters down the road they've got like neon manga blah 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 like you know what i mean like it it is it you know it is a it is a you know to 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 westernized eyes it's a fucking weird country it is a really strange place but yeah chris tarrant made an entire tv series out of for a long time (laughs) yeah exactly and he's a fucking freak but like you know know, i mean it's just i don't know i think i think like it's, it's one thing to show like you know like she went to like the empty temple in like kyoto early in the morning where there was like no one around and was like looking around all glum. And she went to the one in Tokyo where there was the ceremony happening. It was all glum and that's fine. But then it's like, you know, someone's reading like manga on the tube and she's like, Ugh. and then there's like, there's like that Japanese Johnny Carson. Um, uh, what they say is the Japanese Johnny Carson. And it, you know, it's one of the, it's like a Japanese talk show. And I think it's, it, you know, they, they played very fast, like fast. And, and you know, it, I, I think there, there is a way to show, you could have just shown Tokyo as the, this like land of insane contrasts by just showing the the Shinto temple architecture and the hyper neon like Akira esque landscape. Yeah, you didn't, yeah, yeah. You didn't have to show their television stations. You didn't have no. to basically wheel out like 
you know, like Takeshi's Castle. And I did think it was interesting um, that they seem to have a Takeshi's Castle obstacle when she went to that one temple. Did you notice that the stepping yeah, stones did, in the water? Yeah, stepping stones. And I was hoping one of them was going to sink. <laughs> but you know, I, it, yeah, it wouldn't I, have been so bad if she, if the characters had engaged with it and sort of embraced it. I think that was part of the problem with it is that because they never sort of engage with it. But no, I, I, I think that was. Because it's like where she goes to the thing at the hotel where she wanders in and they give her the thing, she starts doing it, and then she's sort of got a look look on her face like, well, this is fucking dumb. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, the thing about that is, like, um, you know, we've all done it. We've all um, accidentally wandered into a bonsai class that's being held next (laughs) to a press conference for a film. Um, But it's like... Well, yeah, I mean, that's my average Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So there's this, like, really quiet women's bonsai class next door to... Anna Faris screeching into a microphone, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Um, I don't I, like. I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying like, you know, I like. Uh, again, this all comes back to like the idle rich thing. I don't, you know, I don't think. Oh, you know, they, they should have been shown doing X, Y, or Z, and, like engaging with Tokyo, because I think largely the point was that you know Tokyo, Tokyo was like um, like another character in the film. It was this like unknowable foreign land where you are entirely disconnected because you can't uh, you, can, you can't really speak to people you can't read you know what i mean you're you're robbed of your standard um like coping skills like i i, I get that but i just think it was so jarring to have like you know the gentle scenes in the shinto temple and then lip my stockings hello <laughs> you know it's like like literally it could only have been more racist if she'd come in with one of those like lampshade hats yeah. like one of those like wide hats <laughs> Like I don't know, like or like if it had been like or you know, I, ironically, scene. or ironically, if Scarlett Johansson had come in playing a Chinese, uh, playing a Japanese woman, you know, yeah, which is a bit more of a later years. There's you, a few of those Bill Murray scenes that feel like they were just put in for, to fill pad the runtime. Or, or, lip, or, or lip my or, stockings, the thing on the exercise bike. Oh, uh, they were purely for the trailer. It was for the trailer. It was for the American. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the playing on... golf on the course. It's like that. That's what? annoying. The bit on the golf course. I generally got confused because I was like, oh, I love this bit because yeah, I thought that... it was, but I got it mixed up with the film Multiplicity where he goes to take the yeah, swing yeah, and his yeah. phone rings and just throws the club. Yeah, him, um, him golfing. That's clearly just put in because Bill Murray's a Bill big golfer. Go golfing, yeah. Yeah, because I mean it was put in Space Jam as well for the exact same reason. Yeah. Um, just because I mean, the one... I got Space Jam then. Yeah, but, <laughs> but that was that was literally that whole thing about him disappearing on the golf course and everything. It was just because. Bill Murray wanted to be on a golf course. That's yeah. cool. So they did that. It's just yeah. fucking hell. Is that just yeah, so they can play it off? Yeah, yeah. If, that's on, but, if that's on your rider, that's fine. But I don't, I don't need to see it. It's only thirty yeah, exactly. seconds. Cut it out. But that, um, that and the exercise bike were annoying as fuck. That bit on the exercise bike annoys me because it's not an exercise bike. It's one of those cross. The cross oh, the ellipticals. Yeah. Crosswalks or whatever. But you could, you, you control the motion in that. I, I was sitting watching that, going, those machines don't go on their own you do it that's the whole point of them so literally that is just bill murray doing that's, that that's that's I, snl bill murray isn't it it's like yeah i i would say playing devil's advocate i i i could conceivably believe a scenario where um where bill murray unable to read the japanese controls sets off like an automatic workout that did that but ultimately i think um it's just uh, a this film had to had to play in america and that was a way to get people into the cinema and you can't you know if you, you know and and it's just it's it's a classic bill murray physical comedy 
So the if, film's if, very much sold as a Bill Murray film. If you watch it's a Bill Murray comedy, yeah, exactly. So like, if you've got Bill Murray for three weeks in Tokyo, you've got to get a bit of everything out of him. You've got to get the sad moment. You've got to get the, you know, um, the karaoke, the cab ride, the, you know, all the stuff. And you know, and there are some like genuinely like yeah, he, he he does have some very funny bits in it. Like you know, when he actually filmed the commercial and. He said, "Is that all he said? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, that's 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 good stuff. But you know, I just think you know, uh, yeah, the exercise bike. I think that was I think that was for the American trailer personally. I, I, yeah. I it, it didn't it didn't add anything. Just like the the scenes in the pool when he's swimming past the like the the pool aerobics class. Like it 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 didn't add anything story wise, obviously. But I also I don't think it um I don't think it did anything to like set a tone." A lot of those films have stuff like that, though. I mean, it's like Garden State where they're going about on the bike and stuff like that. It's meant to give you a sense of stillness between each scene. A load of bullshit. It's just so that they can pad out the time and be artsy. Like that's I, know, I get, I get it. I, I do, I do get the idea of like putting spaces in between scenes. Like you know, I, I think it, you know it can be done well, but I think considering the film was so slow moving anyway. Yeah, and just almost halted it. Yeah, and was like very, it was a very still film. Like there wasn't a lot of like, even like when it was showing like, like when it's showing like the um, like Shibuya crossing, like scramble crossing in Tokyo. Because even though like when you're in the middle of that, it feels like there's people coming at you from all directions and like you never get bumped, but it feels like it, you know it's a very dynamic thing to be in the middle of. But if you're looking at it from a distance, it just looks like like a wave, like an ocean wave. It's yeah. very slow and very controlled. So like even shots of like the inner city where you think it's going to be bedlam um whereas in fact tokyo is actually like a very orderly city you know yeah. like it, it's all very slow and very controlled and it's you know it's like, it is like lapping waves you know so i think considering how slow the film is in general i don't think uh, i think there's a, there's a and again you know hey it was you know it was just it was a personal project it was just you know it was a love letter to japan obviously i think in 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 its own funny way and you know, Somehow. I just like it wasn't it wasn't for me, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's Japan's beautifully shot. Tokyo's yes, beautifully absolutely. shot. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, even after watching that, I was like, I'd love to go there. Like, right, no, but I was actually surprised at how little advertising there was throughout it. I was trying to watch the whole way through it, thinking because there was like shitloads of billboards and everything that there was going to be something, but there's one for. Uh, oh god there's one for something that I didn't think would be there something it was like I don't know it's like fucking Bisto or something like that it was something weird anyway where you're like what the fuck is that Um, but there's like no bottles of beer or anything there's no nothing you know is it because there was so much money coming from somewhere else that they didn't have to rely on any advertising or anything uh, a lot of it was shot on the fly, I think, because they didn't have permission to shoot in a lot of places. Ah, okay. Yeah, certainly the exterior the stuff. Yeah, Because yeah, even, yeah. even like a lot of the um, computer games and stuff, I mean, I recognise them, but they're just cutting like the the tops of the machines off, so you don't see the names or anything. Like even if they were in Japanese, <clears throat> it's that you still don't see it. You know what I mean? It's probably more so they didn't have to pay them. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, license on it, so. it's just strange for having like such big stars and stuff in it as well, especially Bill Murray, that they didn't have to rely on any sort of advertising funds. I mean, even like their smallest film has, you know, somebody holding a can of Coke or something. You know what I mean? Something that's going to get them some sort of... Yeah. Perhaps they just got all the money from the whiskey. 
Yeah. Do you know what? I honestly, I, w- I would not be surprised if Suntory put some money up for that. But yeah. also, it was like it was Searchlight, wasn't it? It was a Searchlight film. Uh, like, focus. S- focus. Focus. Yeah, features. like such like a really low budget for what it was. And, yeah. You know, like I, honestly, I I agree with Stuart. I think it was just they didn't want to have to pay um, these companies because you know, like um, like if well, you've you, made a couple of films, I know that like because I did one in a comic shop and you're supposed to get permission from like DC and Marvel and everything to feature their comics, even in the background. Yeah. So I had to write to a load of different things and couldn't get permission. That's why (laughs) the film I did, the comics in the background were all either, I think it was IDW gave us permission to use theirs in the background. And Terry Moore gave us permission. And Bruce Campbell gave me permission to use his autobiography. Oh, nice. So that was pretty much the set dressing. So it was like the shittest looking comic shop. <laughs> what a fucking dude, though, eh? Well, no, it was Avatar Press, not IDW. Oh, nice. So, yeah, I had permission from them and whatever the comics magazine in the UK was at the time used to get in comic shops. I can't think what it was called now. Is it Comics Confidential or something like that? Oh, I couldn't tell you. Way back in the early 2000s. Oh, uh... But, yeah, DC were very much like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we will be watching you if you do it. <laughs> as our lawyers kind of thing so Fuck. i mean I don't, I, I don't think any of the com- like uh, some of the companies that were shown especially like in the arcade like i don't think it would have been an issue if they'd been shown but i think like you know, i don't that, think that, they would have gone after them but i think it was more it's no i don't too think much would have. to be fair they were probably in the shot originally they probably recut the frame yeah yeah, yeah i think i, I think some of the frames were recut as well but like you know that like drumming game where it's like uh where you gotta like keep up with like one like it looks like a like a big plastic barrel drum and you're like yeah, playing yeah, yeah. in time. That is still a massive arcade draw in Japan. Like that is still a huge game over there. So like they they don't need the they don't need the the advertising in America yeah. where there are zero of those units installed. It's huge in Japan. It's already huge. That film isn't gonna play well over there anyway. So who you know, we don't we don't need our game featuring in your film, sorry. You know, like <laughs> You know, so I, I think some of them may have said no on that basis. You know, like we I, we, we don't need we don't we don't need you to to show our game. You know, yeah. like yeah, the one I recognised was the one with the the guy pressing the buttons. Uh, I used to see shitloads of YouTube videos of people playing that arcade machine all the time. The one that was there was all the notes were dropping. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Some time with it, yeah. And the guy's like dancing as he does it. As well. Yeah. Which is actually really impressive because a lot of the YouTube videos that are up, it's people like full blown dancing whilst playing that machine and doing some complicated fucking thing. It's yeah. incredible. Did you did you see that whilst you were over there? Yeah, I saw a bit of all that. Um, I sp- I spent a fair bit of time in like in because we we stopped into a lot of arcades just to like you know because th- they've got stuff that you'll never see here. Yeah. Um, their their claw machines pay out. Um, like Oof. I've got you know I've got a shitload of stuff upstairs that I won from claw machines on like the first or second go. It is nice. a game of skill over there. And like, after I started cleaning one machine out, some bloke came over with a bag bowed and gave it to me. Like here it is for all your prizes, sir. <laughs> and, um, yeah, yeah. And then, um, like it, cause we went to one other arcade, um, which I think was like more towards the, cause there's like, um, Akihabara, which is like gaming town where all the like second hand game shops are and all the like manga figurine shops and all this other stuff. And the, and a lot of the arcades are, um, where I got the, uh, number one high score on Tetris. Thank you very much. Oh. And, uh, then yeah, I beat the Japanese at Tetris. Come on now. And then, uh, <laughs> it's a Russian yeah, we, game, isn't it? Yes, it is. But then, 
we went down to this like it was like a like oh, I can't remember where it was. I have to ask Lauren, but it was um this like slightly weirder arcade that had like some older games, and they had um they had this one game. It was um basically it was like a, a perspex glass of beer, like a hard plastic glass of beer, on a track, and it was called something like Yeehaw Wild West, right? <laughs> and on the track it was like a row of lights, and one light would come on. And you had to, old-time Saloony style, slide the beer down and get it to stop where the light was. <laughs> and that was a, was an arcade game over there. And it was stuff like that. And they had, you know that one they got over here where it's like, um, there's like five basketball nets and, you know, stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but again, like, not, not to play into what we were talking about earlier with the film, but it was obviously built for, like, Japanese people. And I'm six foot five, so I was just, like, leaning <laughs> over the net and putting them in. But, uh... Yeah, yeah, like the arcade. No, the arcades. I, 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 would, I anyone I would recommend. You know, go to Tokyo if you get a chance because it was the best place I've ever been in my entire life. It's the best country in the world. Everything's under control over there. Actually, Tom, you would not survive very hard to get by if you're vegetarian or vegan. I yeah. only just managed it. You would have absolutely no chance. But, um, <laughs> but if you don't care about animals, go to Japan. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, it was yeah, it's, no, it's an amazing country, and like, and I think I, I probably enjoyed Lost in Translation a little bit more on this watch because, you know, having actually like seen it and I like, seen it recently, and now that I've got like my own idea of what Japan is like and what Tokyo in particular is like, you know, I, I did I you know I did really appreciate a lot of the sh- you know like a lot of the exterior shots of Tokyo, yeah, and um, like. Uh, like the way they recorded like that, like the Buddhist temples and stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it is, a, it is like a genuinely like astonishing country. It, it, it's a, it's another world. It's like when you go somewhere like that, like you hear all this stuff, like, Oh, Japan, I've got these like toilets that are like, you know, they shoot water up your ass and they sing to you and stuff like that. And people over here go, Oh my God, that's so weird. But then you go over there and you, and you go to the toilet and the seat's already warm because it has warmed it for you. And it's got oh. all these features and you think, they're not weird. It's just we've settled for less. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. like they have put, and, and this is what happens when your country is destroyed by like nukes or earthquakes every ten years, right? Is you can rebuild <laughs> and you know, but that, no, but that's it because like the, the infrastructure in Japan, like the way like Tokyo is laid out, um, because because of all the disasters they've had over the years, they've been able to completely like redraw areas of the city because we went up to Mount Fuji for a day to just to see it. Um, it was cloudy as fuck, and then we only ended up seeing it behind a 7-Eleven on the way back, but we did oh, see yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And um, we we went out on the bus, and we, from, we went out from Shinjuku Station, which is like pretty much bang centre of Tokyo, and we were out of the city in 20 minutes. Now, you try getting out of London in 20 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's a different world. It's a totally different world. And I feel the film captured a lot of that nicely. It captured some of it in a way that I, you know... Um, that's problematic and you're cancelled. But do you know what I mean? Like, I think, you know, by and large, I think it, its depiction of Tokyo was, was, I feel it was, like, you know, accurate and it did capture a lot of, like, the, you know, the the, the, the weird aesthetic, um, like, yeah, there, there is something weirdly pleasant about that, the way that neon, that harsh neon light sort of, like, bathes the street below in, like, a, yeah. like, a, like a really unnatural, like, soft pink or blue or something like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So... Yeah, no, I mean, you know, having having been there, I think there, I, I, I think there is a lot to like about Lost in Translation. Um, the cinematography being number one, Bill Murray's performance probably being number two for the most part. 
um, my boy Rabisi, number three, and yeah, yeah. number four, Tokyo again, because it's class, and I loved it. <laughs> Has Tokyo changed much from the film? Because I always... I'm in that weird age now where 2003 doesn't seem that long ago, but also seems. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, but, you know, if like 2003 to now, if you went that many years back in 2003, it was 1986. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it is. Yeah, a no, I know. Now. Um, no, it doesn't. I, I didn't. Yeah, um, I, still think I of the seventies as being like 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah same yeah yeah like the 70s to me is like oh that's like just before my t- and it is like it is coming off like ancient history oh, yeah. now yeah um yeah no um i i noticed some things that i think have been built since so there were little things where i thought oh you know um i wonder if that had been built then but looking at it i think i think by and large i think like a lot of the like districts of tokyo i mean obviously you know, i don't remember if the fucking the neon boards were the same yeah, no, yeah. but, like, <laughs> but i think not? like i think yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> but i think by and large i think it is i think I, I think it is still i think it is still very much like that and the tube still looks like that and the arcades still look like that a lot of the same games um there is still like that guy in the film who is like playing guitar, like their version of guitar hero in the arcade you know he's got that sort of like like Japanese yeah, greaser look. Yeah. There's still that. All know? right. Okay. Like you know, and that and that guy look cool as fuck. Like if you dress like that in this <laughs> country, you'd be like, oh fuck off, mate. But you know, it, you know, there are still people doing that in Tokyo. Um, but yeah, no, I thought no, I thought the I thought the cinematography was really like um for the most part like really uh you know accurate and really kind to Tokyo. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really well directed film, but. Writing not so much, but directing. I think she directed it really well and frame shots, uh, and I know that comes down to cinematography as well. But yeah, but, I think yeah. You know, I, I'm also dubious about being three guys piling on a female director. <laughs> no, well, I, no but, I, I really do. And, I you really know, I'm do. not just saying it because of that. No, but I do. But think I genuinely, I genuinely do love Sofia Coppola, though. Like I, I, I do really like what she's done. I mean, I love the Virgin Suicides. Um, I, I actually, I actually like that Bill Murray fucking special as well. The very Murray oh, Christmas. Very Merry Christmas. Yeah, I, I love that. I watch it every year. Um, you I know, I, I, what was that? I think I still need to finish it. Or even Marie uh, Antoinette, which I cannot stand. Yeah, Marie Antoinette. Bored the yeah. shit at me, but it's a lovely looking film. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I quite, I quite like the Bling Ring. I've still, still not seen watched that. that. Still I quite like that. that. Yeah. I thought it was right. all right. I, I look, I got to be a couple, and this is like my my problems with Lost in Translation are not my problem is not you, human woman, you, Sophia Coppola, are a bad person, and this film stinks. <laughs> right. <laughs> my problem is that you, Francis Ford Coppola's daughter, who you know, like, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it does look like a fucking dog pile on female directors. Of course it does, but it's not about like for me. It's not about that. It's it, it, it is just the fact that I you know the, the the film the film's politics stink. It is about the idle rich and it is about these impossibly entitled people, um, just kind of like bumbling around, just you know, conceitedly around Tokyo in a badly written film. Um, yeah, that that is it. It's not. Yeah, I, I know it's going to look awful. Like the three of us, like pile on Sphere Coppola. But, <laughs> um, you know, 
but like you know what she got like fucking like 200 million dollars if she wants me to, if, if she wants to win me around to lost in translation i could think of about 250,000 reasons she could send me that would get me to change my mind so cry no tears for, for the daughter of francis ford coppola for fuck's sake. she's got this yeah. image of a green screen crusty the clown style video of you holding up the dvd like, endorse this product and or promotion i endorse this film or product <laughs> I endorse this. Um, <laughs> Was that me again? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> What's in translation? Love it. Um, I'm gonna get that made into stickers and just go around every HMV sticker on them. <laughs> oh, that was it. It was HMV. That was the sign that I thought was fucking weird. Um, oh yeah, no, they had one in Tokyo. For there's a huge Tokyo. HMV in Tokyo. Is, is it still there? Yeah. I ah, think so. right. Have they still got HMVs in Tokyo as well? Yeah, they have, yeah. See, I thought I thought most HMVs were fucking shut, except from, you know, down the road. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tokyo one was a different company, technically. Right. HMV, okay. HMV Japan is still big because they... Like, buying tickets to events is really weird in Japan. Like, right. The, like there's like several ways to do it like it's not just like buy it online and like well for like japanese residences but like um a lot of it is either get it from hmv uh, like during their business hours or it's like there's like a ticket kiosk in like every 7-eleven and like lawson's and family mart which are these like there's like there's like a little tiny tesco express everywhere and it's yeah. either 7-eleven or lawson's or whatever and there's these little kiosks in them and you've got to try and navigate what you want and when and then you take the receipt that the machine prints out to the counter, and then they print out a ticket from the counter. And it's just this whole because we had to buy a ticket for something when we were out there, and I couldn't believe how complicated it was. But apparently HMV do a lot of that, so I think that. Well, you used probably to buy why... tickets from HMV over here as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, Back in I, yeah. Eight, isn't that? <laughs> but like they, they've cornered like a massive um, part of like the ticket market in Japan, whereas like because like companies like Ticketmaster and, like, and even like uber like J- japan does not like american companies coming to japan and cleaning up because right. it is more expensive to get an uber in japan than it is to get a licensed like tokyo taxi right. because they said well you know these <clears throat> these boys like are like trained professional taxi drivers and you just you just own a car and a smartphone so yeah. we're gonna <laughs> so we're gonna tax you so you can't be competitive with us you know so like uh, yeah so like stuff like hmv um, they managed to corner a, a, a section of that market, so I think that's why they're probably probably doing better than they were in like you know other places they went, you know like America where yeah. they're gone and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's still there. I think it's still there. Oh, good. Well, it wasn't Bisto, like I fucking said anyway. <laughs> I, I was gonna say Bisto. <laughs> I just couldn't think. I was like, fuck, what's an inherently like what's what's a what's a company that I can just think of that would just be weird and Bisto was the first thing they gave. Is Bisto or HMV? Yeah. I, I, honestly, I was two steps away from saying B and Q. So you know. <laughs> what's that? UKIP. <laughs> the Brexit oh, part. Huge advertisement. What's that? I wonder where they got the advertisement fund from. <laughs> Europe. What? <laughs> What's that? Your film makes fun of foreigners. Yeah. We'll <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just just before I sign the check, is anyone going to do the thing with the, the fingers and pulling the eyes? No, that's a shame. Well, I'll still sign it anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to hope you do something racist by mistake. Oh, you have done excellent. Thank you. <laughs> Tommy Robinson's favourite film. Uh, last time. <laughs> Can't it. 
It's, it's a big win on a pr- uh, prison movie night, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the verdict then? So we got one against, one for, and Stuart. And, and I'm just, I'm just meh. <laughs> right, so we're, it's a tie then, isn't it? It's a tie. No, do you know what? Do you know what, John? I, I mean, it wasn't about finding a winner. It was about just, you know. No, you know, I'm, I'm gonna. If you wanna, if you wanna do a proper like, who wins? I think you've, I think you've argued your point very much. So I've got nothing else to say on it whatsoever, and I agree with more points of yours than I do with my own. So, <laughs> well, the thing is, I came in hot with that 9/11 thing. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I can't back down from this now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You were two degrees away from saying it's just like the fucking Nazis, and then that yeah, was it. Yeah, yeah. Godwin's law in full effect. <laughs> um, so. Do you think Bill Murray should have got the Oscar? Yes. No. I think he should have. No, no way. Because it was I, Sean I, Penn, wasn't it, got it that year? Sean Penn got it from Mystic River, didn't he? Yes, yeah. Sean I, Penn th- is- I, I think he should have got it for the same... Like, he should have got that Oscar the same way that Martin Scorsese got an Oscar for The Departed. Like, everybody knows that The Departed was not the film. You know, it should have been... Yeah. It should have been Goodfellas, should have been Raging Bull, whatever, you know. But it got to the point where they were like, oh, you know, like we missed the, missed our boat back in the day, here you go. It, that should have been Bill Murray's here you go. You know? uh, no, I we, think... He was up think... against Sean Penn for Mystic River, Johnny Depp for Pirates of the Caribbean, Ben Kennedy <laughs> for House of Sand and Fog, Jude Law for Cold Mountain, and Bill Murray for Lost in Translation. No, Sean Penn. Yeah, Sean Penn. I don't I, know, uh, man. I think I think if they'd done it the following year and he'd been considered for um, the Life Aquatic, then he would have got it for that. Well, that would have been supporting, fucking, right? That'd have been fucking ace. Uh, no, well he. No, he was the lead in Life Aquatic, wasn't he's he? He's the lead. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, God, yeah. Well, Even though Steve Zizou gets his name in the biggest letter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The exactly. point when I first saw the photo for that I was like, who the fuck is Steve Zizou and why is his name so big? <laughs> um. But yeah, um, I think he should he should have probably got it for that. I wouldn't have done it for Lost in Translation. I mean, as as a I wonder if he'd have done better as a supporting actor. Maybe. Because Tim I Robbins. I know. I th- I think he was. In, I think I think he was in it too much for that. Surely. Yeah, it's sort of a. He is the male lead in the film. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. But. But yeah, I mean, did you see the thing John Ottaway posted on under the Twitter I... thread of his? What I did. I, I was. I was a little. I was a little bit nervous when you put out the call to the peanut gallery because I thought I was going to have to be defending a bunch of uh, against a bunch of true lost heads. But no, I, I did see no, that thing. Nobody seems posted. to have any real opinions on it. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I did see that thing. What was it? He said um, his speech. He, he was saw the nominees be... and he thought he stood a chance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought I've got it in the bag. I, 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 you know, like yeah, Bill Murray is what he is, and he like. Uh, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think, you know, like Sean Penn, sure, but, you know, I think uh, if Bill Murray had won, like if, if like Johnny Depp had won for like Pirates of the Caribbean, Ugh. you know, like I think that's <clears throat> one of those choices that would have been looked back on in years to come and thought, what the fuck? Do you know what I mean? But, yeah. Uh, to be fair, I, if I hadn't looked it up, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that Sean Penn won for Mystic River because that's a film that's very much, it was at the time and then you just kind of, oh, yeah, that was a thing. Yeah, but there's, you know, the, the, that's the story. The Oscars, though, isn't it? You know, like. Well, yeah, the, I know. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, what, like, like, just, just quickly, what was that last film Daniel Day Lewis did? Phantom Thread. Yeah. Platinum Thread. Was that it? Phantom, Phantom Thread. Thread. Phantom Thread. Yes, of course, that's right. Like, he was going to remember that in fight. You know, no one's going to fucking remember that film. Do you know what I mean? Like, but it was, 
it was just Oscar bait. Yeah. You know, well, like, it's like I, although Crash won an Oscar, didn't it? Best Picture. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fucking Crash. <laughs> although I've heard that Phantom Threads actually not the film that everybody thinks it is. Like, there's something about it that makes it very odd. And I'm, it's on Netflix. I mean, I'm determined to watch it to see what it's all about. But everybody's sort of giving it the whole don't go into this thinking it's just about some seamstress. There's something, it seems, whatever. Uh, there's something else to this. You know what I mean? Not to like be confused with Peaks. the film with the haunted dress. Yeah. yeah. That yeah, came yeah. out around the same time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. What was, what was that again? I can't remember what it was called, but... It was... Yeah, I know what you're on about. It should have uh, been called Phantom Thread because it was the perfect title for it. Yeah, fuck. Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of that. I remember what you're on about though. Yeah. Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy Daycare with Darth Maul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't remember the name of that. In Fabric. Yeah. What was that? that was in Fabric. That was the haunted dress one. In Fabric. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the director of that had a fucking nightmare apparently he was he did an interview with empire and they asked they asked him uh, how was it making this film and he said it was fucking shocking everybody <laughs> hated each other and we, we hated the film and it, i was just glad to get it over and done with <laughs> it was fucking brilliant <laughs> it's the most honest interview i've ever heard in my life it was brilliant <laughs> He was just like, I just hated it. I just wanted to get on to something else. Please, I just don't ever want to speak about this film ever again. <laughs> Which is what you want when you're out promoting your own film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's probably why it hasn't really been mentioned much ever since. But Yeah, yeah anyway, probably. We digress. His director's commentary will be interested. Yeah, it will be. Oh, fucking will be. <laughs> I'd get it just to hear that. Definitely. Never even seen the film. Didn't even know the name until you mentioned it there, but I'd get it just to hear his commentary. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be better than the usual bullshit. Have you ever listened to an Arnie commentary where he just describes what you're watching <laughs> on the screen? Oh, yeah, I've heard about these. Now this <laughs> is me superb. going to the box. <laughs> is, that, is that your impression of me again? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> My lads to the boats. So, <laughs> see, I, I think we've nailed Lost in Translation for for better or worse. Yeah, yeah I'd say so. I'm not going to be in a I'm not going to be in a hurry to watch it again, but I'm glad I did watch it again. To be fair. Yeah, I'd be interested to sort of come back to it again in another ten years and <laughs> <laughs> come to it another ten years and go fuck this film is a write off. Jesus. But... <laughs> I mean, I wonder with some of it whether it's because it inspired so many other films afterwards that all sort of... Because it sort of led into that mumblecore thing that happened for a while, didn't it? And Yeah, fuck. And I don't know whether that, you know, retrospectively off the back of that, it's dated some of it quite badly. Yeah. In that way that, you know... I don't know. Was it not more... Uh, did folks not like fucking Kev Smith and that not more lead the uh, the mumblecore movement? Uh, I, think well, I, I don't I think, think Kevin Smith films could, could be described as mumblecore. <laughs> no, but I, th- I, no, I see what I'm saying. Like, but um, yeah, no, it, it was that indie movement of shot on the fly. Yeah, that like hyper auto, like yeah. yeah, yeah, fuck all budget, like all that kind of stuff, like just doing it on a fucking the stuff you got in your pocket sort of thing. Mm. I thought that was more of the sort of the move for it, but then again, I don't know. It's, I think it's all that sort of stuff, isn't it? 
look at yeah, what's it's, a, it's an amalgamation of all of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a weird time for cinema. It was very oh, much definitely. Yeah, a movie. yeah, yeah. But, it's funny. It's funny. It was just a, go on, Tom. I, I was saying it's funny when you mentioned that er, earlier, John, about the whole fact that nine eleven had basically just happened. I, I didn't even, you know, it, it, it didn't even compute that that film came out not long after that. So it would have been shot literally even. Like short a, time after that like yeah like a year after man yeah, yeah and it's just like fuck we were they were still like they were so so raw after all of that well that's it like yeah i mean like, i think it's it's impossible to like you know like it's impossible to look at films like that as like uh, you know no no film is made in a vacuum and yeah. i think you know i think you know like the the 2000s was the dumbest time for art of any stripe yeah because like do you remember like just after 9-11 there was like a tribute song, like an all-stars tribute song of what's going on by marvin gay and it was bono and christina aguilera and nelly and then at What's the that? end fred durst did a rap <laughs> over what's going on by marvin gay and that was like the oh, first thing hell. that was like the first big single that dropped after 9-11 to be fair, and I'd always thought that what's going on was missing a bit of Fred Durst. But he's on there giving it the full, like the full <laughs> shabonka, like the big steps and the shoulder throw and the backwards Yankees cap. And like Nelly's on there and like Christina Aguilera and they're all wearing like blindfolds that say things like I'm black and I'm a voter and, you know, and all this. Yeah, you know, it's just, yeah, like I, I, I don't think that was I think that was like an age crisis. Thing. I don't think that was like a, a 9-11 tribute song, but like, you know, like. The, the, that's the first bit of media I remember after 9/11, and even at the time I remember thinking, "This is going to be the stupidest decade, like for yeah. for art of any description. This is going to be the dumbest, fucking stupidest time." And I think I was largely right in that regard. See, I was I was heavily involved in like 9/11. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. You've caught me. <laughs> I'm responsible. Uh, no, no, I was heavily involved. What with, a like, scoop! <laughs> it's not where I was expecting this to go. <laughs> Moving. I am Osama bin Laden. Um, so the. Uh, <laughs> or am I? Uh, the. Oh, I've lost my fucking point now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was yeah, I was I, I was like deep into like the American punk scene at that point. So, yeah, so that was, was something yeah, that was something entirely of its of itself. You know what I mean? So But even that even that was the stupidest thing. Because like, you think about like, you know, um like it was music all, it, but you think about like music around the time of like the like the Vietnam War and even around like the first Gulf War, we had like um like uh Oh shit! Like, what was like, what was like the music around that? Like, it was around like Vietnam. Um, well, Dylan, also, and Hendrix, and yeah, like, yeah, like Dylan, like um, Creedence Clearwater Revival, yeah, um, and then like this, and then like later on, it was like the Stooges and like the Sex Pistols over here, and then with the Gulf War, it was um, and like um, it was like Combat Rock by the Clash and stuff like that. Yep. And then what did we have after the Iraq War? We had American Idiot by Green Day, and it's. <laughs> You know, it's like, come on, you know. Yeah, we had the uh, we had the compilation album Rock Against Bush. Yeah, it yeah. It's all very. Do you know? It was all all of it was very Bush centric, and fuck all really to actually do with like the issues. It was just like we hate this man and nothing else. 
but we uh, did get that really good Dixie Chicks documentary out of it. Which... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, I mean, it was a, stu- it was a the early 2000s in music will always be summed up by Avril Lavigne being interviewed on MTV for a follow-up song to Skater Boy, sitting there and declaring that she doesn't understand where the Skater Boy association with her music came from. Amazing. And I was like, this is the decade. <laughs> it's a fucking shater of a thing. Really bad, really bad time for like art and artistic expression, and like, and like, and and, and pursuant to what Tom said about four hours ago, now it feels like, um, like, like <laughs> when there was like, um, you know, back in the nineties, like, it seemed like everybody was studying like liberal arts uh, subjects at university, like that, like hyper, like that hyper conservative time in America, and like that sort of like wave of neoliberalism thing, where it felt like, you know, um, there was this like move away from. Um, from like the because like this was around the time that like y- it was getting harder and harder to earn a living making art, you know, like uh, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't have like a like a hit CD and make a load of money if you were like an indie band because of like you know LimeWire and SoulSeek. Someone's going to download your band's stuff and it's going to come with a .exe that's going to scupper the family computer. <laughs> and um, it just like it was around that time that like. Um, this idea that like art, you know, a, a, a career in the arts can pay and is worth doing, where that started to become eroded, you know, and I, th- I think yeah. that that plays a part in it as well. But um, yeah, no, it's just it was just a really fucking it's just stupid it's a stupid bad time for yeah. for artistic expression, I think, and and also one that I don't think we've really fully recovered from, like like you know, like there's been there's been great art since, of course there has, and like the, you know the 2010s I think were a really good decade for cinema but i mean it's, it's it's a different world now and i just yeah i just think that that time just after 9-11 i think that that introspective because even like even like the like the gung-ho war blockbusters it was always about you know well it's the same film it would have been before 9-11 but now it's about a sad troop you know yeah. like <laughs> and you know we're, we're we're abroad and we're doing all this like foreign this awful foreign policy stuff we're zapping people's balls with a car battery in Abu Ghraib but we don't actually want to think about the consequences of American foreign policy so it's just going to be about a sad troop <laughs> and that's what we'll do <laughs> and then we'll have a, and and we'll have a, the Oliver Stone film World Trade Center <laughs> yes exactly yeah Jesus. yeah yeah and then we've got the rise of conspiracy theories after that as well that have got even more rife it's great. Exactly. God, we're going, we're going down a really good happy route here. Well, I'm glad glad we did this. Glad we did this. <laughs> Lost in translation, spreading the Instagram bullshit. So, right then, would you recommend people watch Lost in Translation for better or worse? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure. yeah. If you want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want to watch it, watch it. It'd be fine, you know. It's not going to. It's not going to change. It's not going to change anything. It'll be all right, even if you don't like it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Just watch something else. Certainly don't. <laughs> certainly don't go on a podcast and argue about it for hours on end. <laughs> I think if you're, uh, I think if you're in a very especially blue mood, uh, stick it on just to snap you the fuck out of it and go well. Fuck, yeah, I'm better yeah. than these folks. Fuck yeah. me. <laughs> It'd be interesting to get the opinion of somebody around the age of eighteen now who's watching it for the first time. Yeah. Sort of at that age, because I was... I doubt they'd want to watch Early it. 20s when it came out, so sort I think of still I, in that subjective I think age. They would, see, they would see Black Widow on the fucking screen and go, Jesus, she looks like a child. I'm not watching this. Fuck me. <laughs> yeah. um, that's, that was one thing I meant to say, actually, was 
just watching it and going, Jesus, it's so much younger. Like she was seventeen when that film was made. Yeah. Oh, really? No, she was 17. seventeen. When it was made eighteen when it came out. Oh God, that's even worse. It's How weird old to was look at it now kind of like Scarlett Johansson's probably the bigger name from that film. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I still don't like her. <laughs> I do. I like Scarlett Johansson. Uh, I do. I, I think I, there's only a handful of roles. Ghost World. That was the first thing I saw, and I think. Yeah, yeah. That's a great film. It is a great film. Yeah. But I'm based on a comic, so. Mhm. Great but, night, boys. Cool. Well, I I think we've sort of covered everything on Lost in Translation. Yeah. That's worth covering. Well, well, we well we covered the entire like basically the entire history of the Western world from like the nineties <laughs> through to now. Jeffrey Epstein. Um, <laughs> the whole political landscape of the two thousands. The the B the B and Q in Tokyo that may or may not exist. Where you can buy Bisto. We've done yeah. it all, boys. We've done it all. <laughs> awesome. So um, where can people find you online if they want to get more of your conspiracy theories on? 9-11 and Lost in Translation. Um, if you want to find me online, I'm on Twitter at, at EpsteinTruther420. <laughs> <laughs> Justice for my boy, Jeffrey. Uh, no, oh um, yeah. If, Prince Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Christ. <laughs> oh, dear me. Right. Sorry, my headphones fell off. Right. There, there goes my nighthood. <laughs> yeah, so, my headphones fell off because I can sweat. Um <laughs> Yeah, um, no, if you want to follow me online, uh, it's at John Tucker Art on uh, Twitter, uh, johntucker.co.uk uh, is the website. Um, I do comics um, as well as all this that you've heard. <laughs> I've, I've, I've made a comic or two in between my insane rants about Jeffrey Epstein and <laughs> Lost in Translation, so that's where I am online. And I've been on, if there's a podcast about comics, I've been on it um, <laughs> at least once by now, I think. I think I've done them all now. <laughs> <laughs> talking about comics not this yeah <laughs> that's what you should do from now on so i'll only come on your podcast if i can discuss this <laughs> and uh speaking of the comics podcast tom where can people find you you can find me at your amex no i'm joking <laughs> <laughs> this impression's getting worse as it goes on uh you can find me at your amex m-y-x or across at the at comics mill podcast uh on instagram and twitter and we're on soundcloud itunes most places you get podcasts that comic smell and you're on the lakes podcast as well aren't you? i am in, I, oh fuck or, it. Or i always forget that it sounds awful like i'm leaving them out but i just i'm so used to doing that wee bit uh yeah <laughs> uh i'm across at the comic art festival podcast as well with my uh small press review section called small pressed and oh also look out for um any comics that i may have edited through first spark books uh feeling all highbrow now <laughs> uh get across to first spark books uh hopper detective of the strange saffron hopper De- detective of the strange number two should be coming uh in the next couple of months or so i would reckon probably that's not an official announcement I'm just saying <laughs> um Aaron's uh, frantically typing this. Yeah, he's sitting like a oh, fuck. <laughs> um, but no, uh, never cross. The Spark has just uh, went on a, a subscription service as well. So yeah, fair Spark books. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cheers for that, gents.
Thanking you, sir. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, Garden State next. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. And that was our discussion on Lost in Translation. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Um, where do you fall on the film? Do you love it like Tom does? Do you loathe, kind of loathe it like John does? Uh, or are you just somewhere in the middle like me and just find it all a bit meh? Um, I'd like to thank Tom and John for coming on and talking about the film. Uh, be sure to check out the description with links for where you can find them online. As you know, this is a special episode. The regular Nerds show should be coming back around April sort of time. I'm just taking a post-True Believers break, sort of recharge that sort of thing, get some other things that I quite like to get done, done. Um, and then, the, like I say, the regular show should be back around April time. And um, But I'm still hoping to get a couple of specials out, this being the first one of them, obviously. Um, hopefully a couple of nerd specials as well, as well as possibly another And Why Not special. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for those in wherever you find out about this sort of thing. Um, I've set up a Twitter account, so that's somewhere you can find out about it, for the pod. So if you go onto Twitter, if you're inclined to do so, and find us on there and follow us at, at Haunted Nerds. That's at Haunted Nerds. Um, yeah, like I say, you can be kept up to date about the pod. You can give us feedback on the episodes, what you liked, what you didn't like. Uh, whether you agree with Tom, whether you agree with John, you can let us know in the uh, comments and that sort of thing. Uh, or failing that, you can find us on Facebook where we're um, the Nerds Who Haunted Themselves, if you just search that. Uh, we're on Podbean um, and... The True Believers website is where you can find all the previous episodes. Um, and that's pretty much it for this one. Uh, I'd like to thank you for listening. Like I say, I hope you enjoyed it uh, as much as we enjoyed recording it. And uh, yeah, we'll be back soonish. Keep an eye on the socials for that sort of thing. Thanks for listening. Bye. Yeah.